Welcome to TBT with Grace and Emma, a podcast on the millennial generation and how we came to be. On today's episode, we consider whether Squidward Tentacles from SpongeBob SquarePants is an embodiment of the millennial psyche at this moment. <laughs> we, uh, we, <laughs> we also introduce a new segment called TMI with TBT, where we explore the concept of oversharing as it relates to the millennial generation. We are led by an incredible star guest this week in a game. Ayo. And we have some really fun TBT tidbits for you today. Most importantly, we also bring in our first guest on the pod, the one and only Bora Lee, who shares a who, sh- <laughs> who adds really amazing insights throughout the entire episode today. We're so, so excited and grateful to have her. And brings potentially the best TBT we've ever had on this podcast yet. Oh, I'm Emma. And I'm Grace. Enjoy the show. Millennial problems. Where's the Wi-Fi? Am I right? No. Oh yeah. On an endless search for Wi-Fi. Big time. In fact, today I, I was reading about like labor. Life. Yeah, I was reading about labor statistics and about how many jobs. <laughs> of in the course future. you are. <laughs> it's a casual, casual Tuesday. Grace and, spends time with the U.S. Department of Labor Statistics. I will say that there's a lot of projections around how many jobs are going to require Wi-Fi. That that's like Whoa. a concern and something mm. that we need to start building capacity for. All right, Elon Musk. You have, <laughs> you have your next task. <laughs> Fuck Wi-Fi. the moon or yeah. Mars. Get Flint clean water. Yeah, God. Get the people Wi-Fi. Yes. Hey. Thank you so much. The voice that you have just heard <gasps> speaking so much wisdom is none other than... Pew, pew, pew! We need to get our theme song off of the free song downloads. She's Bora. Hey! Bora Lee, she's here in the pod. Hey! Um, as Grace alluded to, we have a special, special guest today. Sorry, I just had a, <laughs> just had a beer burp. Leave it in! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bora, you better hold all your bodily functions in today. No, 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 no. Let it out. Leave it in the pod. Let it out. Leave it in the pod. So, yeah, we're joined by our great friend, Bora Lee. Hi, we're everyone. S- we're so grateful to have her in the studio today. Man. The we- honor is mine. Truly. And I realize my breath probably smells like wasabi and soy sauce, <laughs> almonds. <laughs> and this little studio is really, really close, and our faces are really close, so. Emma just beer burped in your face. <laughs> You're allowed to <laughs> have whatever breath Give me you one have. back. Give me one back. I'll fight you. <laughs> Who comes out on top, beer or wasabi? And way to, way to stereotype myself, huh? <laughs> <laughs> So when Grace and I started this pod, we talked about how we wanted to make sure that we were the only ones who were expressing insight into the millennial generation. We wanted to bring in different voices. And we're so, so, so stoked to have that dream become a reality today and to have Bora as a guest on the pod. She's here with a little bit of inspiration for a new segment that we're going to introduce in a little bit, but mostly we're just really excited to have her as an additional perspective to think through some of the um, aspects of our millennial generation and, and how we have come into our own. Um, well, first off, uh, I feel 
nervous and overwhelmed that I'm the first guest on this pod. I feel very privileged and honored. So, so happy to be here. Um, We're happy you're here. Yeah. You are. The privilege is entirely ours. A hundred percent. And so if you don't hear me for the rest of the pod, because I'm edited out. (laughs) (laughs) That was like by my request. (laughs) Say my name and then everything I say out. But uh, my name is Bora Lee. Let's see a little bit about me. I am a native Californian, a native Bay Area, born and raised child, now adult. Uh, I grew up in San Jose, then went to college in San Diego at UC San Diego. Shockham Tritons. And uh, then after about five years living in San Diego, I... Lived abroad for a few years. I served as a Peace Corps volunteer in Nepal. And if that gets sprinkled in throughout the pod, that'll be dope because that's it's that experience really changed my worldview uh, on American culture and just uh, on human nature and human existence and life. Anyways, yeah. Um, yeah. Let's see. Brought it back home to the Bay. Lived in mm. San Francisco and Oakland before... Uh, meeting Grace and Emma at Stanford in our grad program, and Woo-hoo. go trees! <laughs> oh come on! Go red! <laughs> Edit it out! Edit it out! Uh, no, thank you. But then, uh, like last few, I guess identity identifiers. I'm Korean American. Uh, My parents moved here when they were young adults, so I'm a first, I think that's first generation American. Um, And yeah, I think that just helps maybe explain some of my perspective on America and millennials. Great. Small LOL. So do you all say lol or LOL? (gasps) As I've aged, it's changed. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, When I was younger, it was LOL. And then, I mean, it really started with us, me and my friends from undergrad, making fun of people who Mm -hmm. say lol. And then we became (laughs) people who say lol. So now we're always like, lols. (laughs) I think it makes us laugh out loud. With the Z at the end. Yeah, yeah. With the Z Z at the end. And it's it's more like L U L Z. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It's what we're really saying. Totes. I have a mini TBT, which is I remember when LOL became a thing in the advent of AIM. Yes. AOL Instant Messenger for the noobs out there. Yeah. And I remember. So when I was in middle school, we had this crazy shit, which I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of this, but it was basically like, it was like the Regina George Byrne books, but yeah. it was like the notebooks that you circulate and For like sure. your popularity depend is directly related to the number of notebooks that you're a part of. So being invited to be part of like a circulating notebook is an indicator of your popularity. Oh, shit. I'm telling you, this shit was fucked. But I remember there was a notebook that I was on and I remember not knowing what LOL meant. And so at one point in the notebook, you would like write notes to each other, and I wrote a note, and I just wrote LOL, 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 across one line. And this girl at lunch literally confronted me and was like, 
yo, Emma, do you even know what LOL means? And I was like, what? Oh, yeah. Emma. And she was like, because you put it in these like really weird random places where it like doesn't even make sense. And I was like, oh, yeah. Wow. Formative moments. So then I looked it up. And then I found out. How did you look it up? Did you, like, www.whatthislolmean.com? I honestly don't know. I probably looked it... I mean, I had the internet, because I was on AIM at that point. Yeah. I must have looked it up online. Got it. Ask Jeeves. Not at Google. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Ask Jeeves. Honestly, it was probably Jeeves. (laughs) Jeeves was like, there, there now. I'll help you become popular. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that didn't work? All right. Never mind. Moving on. (laughs) Amanda, step up. I'll help you become popular. Here's a live journal where you can express your discontent (laughs) of not being popular. I did not use live journal, but we should have a convo about that. Um, I just wanted to draw attention to an article written by Matthew Raja in um, Salon that was a think piece, a think piece <laughs> on whether or not Squidward tentacles from SpongeBob SquarePants is a like a real represent like manifestation of the uh, millennial psyche at the moment. <laughs> And I just, I, deep I just <laughs> thought that was hilarious, especially as someone, I, I love how there's a reason why there's so many SpongeBob memes right now circulating between the millennial generation. I'm trying to remember when I watched SpongeBob and I think it was in high school. I don't remember watching it when I was young, but I also think part of the humor and part of like the identity of SpongeBob being a millennial cartoon was it being funny as more of a like a young adult i think it was like stoner humor also um th- yeah there's there did feel something like a part of that cartoon wasn't actually meant for like very young uh yeah. demographics that it was actually you know sideways for adults to totally, enjoy totally <laughs> totally i loved in the article how it talks about as the viewers uh, self-identify with one of the characters, so younger viewers self-identify with SpongeBob because he's fun-loving, enthusiastic, and really enjoys life. Then as that viewership grows older, they less identify with SpongeBob and they more identify with Squidward (laughs) as, like, (laughs) responsibilities and reality set in, and it's actually like, uh, actually, I hate... All of you. (laughs) I hate my situation, and all my dreams didn't come true, and I work this job that barely pays the rent, and et cetera, et cetera. And I also like in the article how it talks about there's really no storyline, no, like, plot point to SpongeBob SquarePants. It's Mm -hmm. just, uh, like, every episode is to exemplify each of the characters' own quirks and the way they like, handle stress. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why um, both young and old people can watch it because it's just about entertainment. Yeah. And he's kind of the, the straight man, right? Like this idea that, like, I think that's also why he's so relatable and enjoyable because SpongeBob and uh, Patrick, they're so 
like extreme. <laughs> and I'm not saying Squidward isn't extreme. This is like maybe delving too in the direction of like just an analyzing SpongeBob SquarePants. He really but... embodies your <laughs> emotional and economic angst. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to offer a counterpoint. Okay, let's hear it. So I think that we're selling ourselves a little short. I think that we are... So I was in a conversation today um, with someone, and she's quite a bit younger than me, so I think she's like 25 maybe, but I asked her, I was talking to her about millennials, I asked her if she identified as a millennial, and she was like, yeah, and then um, she was like, I love being a millennial, like I love what we are. And I think that... If I think that there's this attachment to, like, the grump or this attachment to, like, the grounded one, I actually think we are selling ourselves a little short. Like, I think, again, kind of going back to, like, people's actual lived lives, like, I don't actually see a lot of practicality come through in terms of how we brand ourselves. Am I wrong? I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm, like, mis misreading the connection it doesn't capture millennial joy boro mentioned this earlier and i think it's a really good point which is like what he's capturing isn't necessarily unique to millennials but it's unique to us in this exact moment of feeling like a frustration with the position that we're in this is not necessarily capturing us as a generation more broadly but more of us in this particular context right now and I love that it's, there's always this caveat to that point throughout the article. It's like, but Squidward can never be a millennial because he's a homeowner. And millennials <laughs> are not homeowners. <laughs> so. Anyway, a little lol turned into a giant OMG. I don't know. <laughs> Keep, it Keep it in. 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 what? Oh, this is the benefit of having three is that we can vote. <laughs> I got a little gift. What? To TBT with Jenny Bora. <gasps> Thank you all so much Bora for letting Lee. me be a guest. TBT Here, in, honor, the in honor of TMI. Themed condo. <gasps> hey. Great Aww. expectations. Give me that Darcy. Oh, Ooh. give me that D. <laughs> Speaking of TMI, that's... Oh, it's a green condom. Where did you get these literary condoms? I know, literary condoms, right? That's fun. Which one do you want? Great expectations. Great, give me that D. I got them at a bookstore off of uh, Hate. Thank you so much. Why did this card with some nice boobies on it... Mm -hmm. And some literary themed condoms. How did that feel like TMI to you? Don't we all just talk openly about sex? (laughs) (laughs) No, we don't. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, uh, I was I was trying to think of. I was like, okay, I want to get a gift, and. I want it to be related to the topic of TMI. And the only thing that came up in my head were, like, gag gifts or it it just had to be sexual. Mm -hmm. Because I guess sex is such a private affair and it's one of those things that 
hopefully everyone gets to do at some point in their life. And when you engage in sex, there's really only that other person or like very few people that know how you behave in that setting, unless you like tell all your friends and family, mm-hmm. which is hence often called TMI oversharing when you do. Right. Um, so because I think of all of that, like, privacy and unknown about how people actually have sex and behave I think there's this it's like when you feel really awkward so you start laughing I feel Mm -hmm. like that's the same idea with these sexual gag gifts is it's this awkward thing that everyone does so we have to make funny things about them and sell them casually to like address that there is an elephant in the air and, yeah. but not uh, have to actually tell people or talk to people about how you have sex. Totally. <laughs> that there's like, we really, those, when the reaction, when the gut reaction is to like laugh, it's like we do that around things that are associated with some kind of shame or embarrassment. Mm. So there's your booby card. Thank you so much. Because I walked into this bookstore and I was like, ooh, cards. And then I just saw these two very well-painted titties staring at me. And I was like, wow. That, I mean, growing up in this area and in this generation, for me, I was like, awesome, titties. But to the, you know, to a more conservative eye, that could have been Mm -hmm. pretty startling. Yeah, and yeah. I think that idea was why I was like, oh, I need to buy this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm so glad, Bora, that you, like, in in conversations about the podcast, I was so excited when you responded so strongly to this idea of TMI because, uh, at least for me, like, my mom buys me all of this stuff that has boobs because for us it's almost like this shared joy in what used to be so uncomfortable Mm. like I would I would say that for me and I don't know if this is a a millennial experience but I think for me my rebellion was was TMI like Mm. I think I grew up I had two older brothers so I was the only daughter one of the only female identifying folks in the house and I think as a result I felt this sort of like discomfort around like I don't we're not talking about the things that are happening to my body we're like oh my balls are sticking to my leg like (laughs) I don't you know I don't get to I don't feel like there's a lot of sharing of what I'm experiencing and so my rebellion because I was a very good kid goody two shoes was like I'm gonna tell you all the very specific details of like what I'm experiencing but I just want to say like I was so excited Bora because I really do think that there's something unique to millennials where we sort of like are engaging in pushing the boundary of what's acceptable what's casual um and feel like that was very very much my experience and TMI as much as I'm pretty private and um think a lot about the words that I say. I don't consider myself an oversharer with my family. It was a huge tool for me to feel more comfortable with myself. I love that that was your source of rebellion. And that <laughs> it ultimately, I, it sounds like, really benefited you and your relationship with your family and your mom. Because mm-hmm. I'm thinking back like to my rebellious stage, and, and I also have two brothers, and mm-hmm. so it was always 
taboo to speak about any of the TMI events that were happening in my life, i.e. starting my period right. or wanting to buy a thong mm-hmm. or um, wanting to buy a push-up bra. But I would always hear all the dick stories yeah. because there's two guys and you're allowed to share it yeah. in the household. Because I didn't use that as a tool for my rebellion, it's still uh, taboo in mm-hmm. my family to talk about, even mm-hmm. at this age. Yeah. It's weird. I mean, I learned how to use a tampon on my own. Right. But So now I don't need to ask my mom how to do it. But right. I, it was so, I was like, oh my gosh, who's going to teach me how to use a tampon? Right. Mm-hmm. TMI. <laughs> yeah, but it does, it like heightens the stakes. Mm-hmm. When you don't, yeah, right? Like, stinks. oh, stinks. <laughs> what did you, what did you I thought you were abbreviating the word stigma. To be <laughs> oh, like, stinks. Stinks. we're all participating. <laughs> we are all participating. Hashtag heightens the sticks. I mean, that do you feel, Bora, that that, like, where did you release that, or what did you, where did you channel some of that? Uh, I know one. A space where I I think really helped me not feel like this was ever bottled in um, as a child was I had a few like three girlfriends three four girlfriends um, and where we were all very open to each other and it was in those spaces when we would all talk about like learning how to uh use a tampon or learning how to use then later a diva cup or learning how Mm -hmm. to uh, think about sex for the first time and kind of talk through the pain or the Mm -hmm. pleasure or the awkwardness or the toys or the et cetera, everything Mm -hmm. that you're not supposed to uh, talk about socially. But ultimately, if you never talked about it, like how the fuck, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that word. No, you are. Uh, how the fuck are you supposed to know <laughs> right. what to do on your own, especially when you're young mm-hmm. um, or a young adult? So I was very blessed in that way to have those friends, to have that sense of um, discourse and understanding on these very important life events that you don't get to hear other people talk about and like kind of give you feedback on whether your experiences are normal or mm-hmm. they're abnormal and, and change course. <laughs> totally. So this brings us to like one potential argument here, which is that that sharing, that TMI, actually helps us lead healthier and happier lives. So in prep for the pod, I was researching the, the concept of oversharing, and there's a few arguments that I want to bring up. One is like, the, the gendered aspect of oversharing, right? And mm-hmm. and so how women are oftentimes policed in terms of their oversharing mm-hmm. more frequently than men because of the, <laughs> the patriarchy with a capital P and because just as sort of like the normative nature of, of our society, also the racialization of oversharing. Mm-hmm. But the third part of it is, so in full transparency... When I went to go look at who I looked at as a millennial, a typical sort of millennial oversharer, I was inspired to actually look at Lena Dunham because she was called out a lot for sort of towing that line between oversharing in a positive way and potentially oversharing in a way that 
not to be people's sort of words in their mouths, but some people found to be sort of distasteful or sort of just like exhibiting aspects of the human condition that like maybe went too far for general viewing. And I think she brings back this sort of gendered argument for sure. Obviously she's a white woman, so she, and she's a, a pretty socioeconomically privileged white woman. So she has a bunch of privileges attached, attached to her oversharing. Um, but one of the arguments in favor of her oversharing, and I think of oversharing in particular to Bora, your point as well, is that like oversharing is a way for us to just generate information and for us to share what we know about life um, and for us to share life as it exists in more taboo subjects. And I think about that in terms of sexuality, but I've also been thinking about that a lot in terms of finances. I think in previous generations, you don't talk about what you make. You don't talk about what mm-hmm. finances, what your financial status is. Um, and so I think that's kind of like an interesting road to go down too, because I'm not sure that we've had as much sort of societal conversation about what it means to be an overshare when it comes to finances in particular. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like talking about finances is also a way of distributing education and distributing information. Mm-hmm. And I know for me, I've started being a little bit more, a little bit more candid about the financial challenges that I've had because I feel like a I want to really normalize it and be like I I don't really know who to go to like I have my parents and they're equipped to a point but I feel I feel like finances are a place that we could really there's a lot of potential for us to learn from one another mm-hmm. not to force anyone into uncomfortable situations by any means but I do think there's a lot of taboo and sort of like mysticism around finances and I'm curious about like why that is. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it honestly is to keep the people who are in underprivileged positions to stay in those underprivileged positions. I don't think that the taboo around finances is really benefiting people as a whole, although there are circumstances under which it could definitely benefit certain people. Can you elaborate a little bit more? Yeah, like I think like when we don't talk about how much we make what that means is that right. people have no sense of comparison and women and people of color who traditionally make less don't have any sense of what they de- of what they might deserve in comparison to their white or male counterparts who might be making more. Mm-hmm. That's an example. Got it. Um, no, but the, the culture in America of not disclosing your financial status is really interesting and it's um, somewhat unique, I would say, to Western culture. Uh, when I was living in Nepal, that was something that wasn't a, a source of shame or guilt or uncomfortable conversation. It was readily what, like an intro question when you walk into a room. It's like, what's your name? Who's your family? How much money do you make? It's kind of casual, but also in a setting where there aren't very stark differences in socioeconomic status. So Mm -hmm. in Nepal, it was in a very particular region in Nepal where geographically you could travel for over there kilometers and um, everyone would be in the same socioeconomic status. I imagine if you go to Kathmandu or if you're in one of the more urban areas, I imagine the conversation is different because there then wealth really tears. I I really believe that people who identify in the same socioeconomic class, regardless of what country or 
like geographic region they live in, they have more in common to each other than they do with someone who is of a much wealthier class within their same nationality. There are experiences that are really determined by your socioeconomic class. And I think that's why finances is such a touchy subject, just the emotional element of of humans. There's the aspect mm-hmm. of jealousy, and mm-hmm. then there's unfairness and injustice. People feel they need to maintain good social rela- relations with people, but also to maintain kind of the status quo of, of the way um, salaries are tiered. So one other thing that I want to float in response is like, what role do you think that all of this is playing uniquely in the millennial generation? And I'm going to float that the advent of the internet that allows you to escape that sort of stigma by asking an anonymous audience for the most part really allows us access to answers, be that what does LOL mean? (laughs) (laughs) Or, um, you know, like, is this normal? Or, like, I there's there are sites that mm. are devoted to just asking questions mm-hmm. and crowdsourcing answers, um, let alone really comprehensive experiences shared online. And I'm wondering whether is that what sort of makes TMI such a crucial experience to millennials? Are we more sharing than other generations um, before us and what what might be the cause of that if that's true. I think there's like sharing and then there's vulnerability and I think those are two different things though. Like I think about, um, I don't know if either of you have the opportunity to see that movie 8th Grade by Bo Burnham. It's an awesome movie um, and it's about this girl who's in 8th grade and she's really struggling with like with creating a sense of identity and with creating all of the things that I think a lot of us go through mm-hmm. to my earlier point about being shunned because I didn't know what LOL meant, being sort of like publicly <laughs> scorned. But she literally has access to a MacBook where she records um, YouTube videos. She has access to seeing other people's information on her phone all the time. But the content on it, while it's like, there's a lot of sharing happening. I think there's a difference between sharing and being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a lot of curated content that um, makes us really portray really um, really curated lives. But I think what we are still struggling with is how far can you really go in terms of being vulnerable and how much about that vulnerability is still attached to the brand that you're trying to sell about yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, there's certain content that you're okay with being vulnerable about. Mm-hmm. And there's certain content that you're not cool being vulnerable about. There's no judgment in that statement. But, like, to the point about, like, sexuality versus finances, like, those are two very different conditions of humanness that I think people have different, really de- different relationships with and therefore have really different levels of experience of expressiveness when it comes to sharing and vulnerability. Hmm. Yeah, I, I feel you made, like, a important distinction between vulnerability and oversharing. And as you were saying that, I was like, yeah, maybe it's, um, like, what distinguishes the two? Because me personally, where, where we started um, talking about 
is oversharing something that is synonymous with self-care or that is ultimately beneficial for either the person being able to share or people being able to learn about what's being shared. And I think if there is something that is being received that can be learned by the candidness, then that is something that feels at least if it doesn't stray away from just promoting one's own self-brand, it at least adds some other value beyond just self-aggrandizement. If you can take sides on oversharing, I think I get to benefit a lot when people overshare because mm-hmm. I get to listen and find like have that conversation or that realization of maybe thoughts or experiences that I've had that I haven't been able to mm-hmm. or haven't been either brave enough or vulnerable enough or candid enough to to feel comfortable to to ask other people or share it on my own mm-hmm. that I get to hear um, or see, mm. let's say, Lena Dem like, have sex and act a certain way. And I'm like, okay. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> have I thought that when I have sex? Well, or like, right. how do I act when people ask me to look my butthole. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, is that normal when I react this way? Not to say that people have asked to lick my butthole. <laughs> Just as an example. <laughs> well, I think it's like when people are really oversharing, it's like you're being asked to take a stance on it and you're being asked to really confront it within yourself and identify like, how do I feel about that? Mm-hmm. Like, how do I feel about taking a selfie with my boobs out? Or how do I feel about like... Um, having tattoos on me that are going to, like, accentuate parts of my body that I don't necessarily feel like, feel comfortable displaying publicly otherwise, or whatever, whatever it is. And I think, like, or how do I feel about the fact that I've had really uncomfortable sexual experiences that, like, I don't like to think about or that I have not really reconciled yet? And I think it's, a, like, you're forcing people to have, like, really self-examinatory processes Mm. that, like, people are not comfortable having. And when they're being forced on you through modeling, it's almost like you're asking people to do work on themselves that they don't otherwise want to do work on themselves. Mm. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it's like TMI is kind of in the eye of the beholder. And on the other side of that is someone who is doing emotional labor to share their vulnerability and how you respond to that is is up to you. I want to problematize Lena Dunham as an example. Like I think that for me she's an example of TMI because the ways that I feel like she overshares is that she is she makes a lot of mistakes as a white woman. To me, it's like, it's too much. I, like, don't want to hear about the ways that you're fucking up in this public space. Um, but I, it's also a learning. It's her doing a lot of emotional labor and learning very publicly that I'm not fully appreciating, too. Yeah, because it takes up a lot of space. Yeah. Like, that's, like, we found this video on from Oprah, which was, like white women talking about how oversharing is, like, it's not burdensome in white-dominant culture as because white women have the privilege to take up space in the way that people of color often do not hmm. have that same privilege of taking up space and are rejected in those spaces 
or because of the different histories that are being shared and some of those histories fall into sort of like our pre-written narrative understanding and some of those don't and we chafe at those chafe chafe, chafe. <laughs> I was just in New Orleans I experienced so much chafing in my thighs I, I should know how to say that freaking word um I don't know, am I explaining this right? That, like, there's also a privilege associated with oversharing, and I think mm-hmm. what we saw with Lena Dunham, sorry that I even brought her into this, she brings with her also the very real truth around the fact that, like, TMI is weighted. TMI mm-hmm. is different. TMI is relative, and it's scalable. And one of the very real axes is where you lie in terms of your racial identity. And we are not all perceived the same when it comes to our TMI. Yeah. Well, especially if you, if if TMI is in the eye of the beholder, then someone sharing their experience that makes you uncomfortable because it is either like challenging you to confront your own privileges or like foreign in ways that trigger some kind of empathy in you that you didn't want to access. Like whatever it is, I think that it makes sense that there's this negative response. Like I don't think it's good. But I think I understand in this frame why people have this, like, it's TMI to me because, like, whoa, 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 this is the office. Why are we talking about racial identity? Which is an actual conversation that I've had in the workplace, not where I currently work. But, like, people see this as, like, emotional labor that then they have to take on. Mm. And so it's TMI. Mm. Sorry, and when I say they, I, I mean white people in yeah. particular in this particular context. But well, so I think we went from like TMI as just like talking about tampons to like <laughs> TMI as like racial identity development, which like obviously there's a spectrum. For me, though, at the end of the day, it's TMI is still ends up being positive. I would say TMI is net positive, which is why, like, with a lot of conversation, I don't we don't has. But, like, in a lot of conversation about social justice and equity, we talk about the goodness of sitting in discomfort. And what else is TMI but, like, sitting in discomfort? Yeah, because now we've, we've, like, expanded, I'll say, my trajectory into TMI with TBT. I was like, Mm -hmm. yeah, tampons and vaginas and sex and, like, really just seventh grade things. Things that seem really profane when you're in, in middle school. That um, set the tone, though, for like and then, our lives. And, and I love that it's expanded to finance and. Uh, I think we talked about like the racialization and race, gender. Oh, and genderization. Yeah, I really in- appreciated what you had shared, Grace, about um, like the reflection of the story or the portrayal that she was creating, um, sort of white young white millennial women. Mm-hmm. And that was not a thought or an experience that I had because I felt very far removed from her experience. For me, it was a show because I haven't grown up or seen a lot of representation of people who look like me in in TV shows or movies in Hollywood. I don't um, have yet that same shared experience of feeling like I have an opinion on things being either TMI or mm-hmm. or not because I don't see anything as reflective of me. And that starts to get into, you know, it, it, we're just at the foreground, at the vanguard of, like, this happening with um, 
fresh off the boat that mm-hmm. came out a few years ago and I think I was in Nepal when it did air so I didn't get to really watch it and mm-hmm. I watched a few shows um later on and that was my first experience of watching those shows of Fresh Off the Boat and if people don't know that's a sitcom of um this Taiwanese family who live in Orlando, Florida and their experiences um and that was my first experience watching that show and thinking like I can relate to this plot story, but I can't relate to mm-hmm. another one. And and there, that in that moment, was I able to see like how that show was going to be like a blanket statement of all mm. of Asian American experiences, and mm-hmm. so then white, black, and everybody else were going to feel like they understood me better. Mm-hmm. By watching that show and then I think in that thought in that idea there is a sense of discomfort like there are certain elements to that show where I do feel a sense of resemblance or, or that it accurately portrays some of the experiences in my life and there's mm. others that it's very uniquely that uh, boy's story and not my own and, mm-hmm. and, and that's where I'm like well, I guess ultimately I would just want more iterations of different, of more, you know, nuanced representations of Asian Americans. And so totally. then people wouldn't assume like all Asian Americans are like fresh off the boat. Right, <laughs> right. But to bring it back to TMI, it, it, it does. And to TMI and to representation yeah. in the media is should an all Asian cast sitcom go directly to oversharing, it would mm. be a catastrophe. You know, if like the first all Asian American sitcom was about a 20 something Asian girl and the first opening shot was like her having sex with her like prototypical Asian boyfriend, like it would just be a very different statement when that day comes though. So. And I yeah. see this 20-something-year-old girl having sex, <laughs> Asian girl, then I will be like, hmm. <laughs> We've already actually, like, made a bid for quite a number of, of television and or films on this show. So if you want to just put it out there. Yeah. Pretty sure we've, Hollywood. We've pitched, we've pitched Parker Posey really hard for a show that we want to have created. So if there are, Speaking of white women. If there's content that you want out there... This is the platform for we've, it. We've got the ear of Hollywood. <laughs> so now now that ch- you know the hashtag game chance. too. Instagram influencer for Hollywood. <laughs> Should I segue into my celebrity overshares game? Yes. Ah! I'm going to read a quote by a celebrity and... We'll have our contestants, Emma and Grace, uh, make a guess on who the celebrity is and then also weigh in on if they think that is an overshare or not. For a, bless you, this is the best game ever. Should we have, like, a, a dinging sound? <laughs> like, like Family Feud. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you have to be the first Mine one. Mine is, boy, yeah, 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 yoing. What's yours? Fine, um, that's it. <laughs> 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 uh, okay, nice. that's a little bit faster than mine, but I'll make it a it's quick. when it starts. Okay. All right, this one is pretty long. <clears throat> that's a good one. I have masturbated myself out of serious problems in my life. 
The phone doesn't pick up because I'm masturbating. And I have excused myself at the oddest times so as not to make mistakes. If Tiger Woods only knew when to jerk off, it has a true market value, like gold bullion. <laughs> First of all, I don't jerk off because I'm horny. I'm sort of half chic or half chick. It's like District 9. I can fire alien weapons. I can insert a tampon. No, I do it because I want to take a brain bath. It's like a hot whirlpool for my brain in a brain space that is 100% agreeable with itself. End quote. Boy, <laughs> Grace. Charlie Sheen? <laughs> okay, I will say, I already actually did see this one. Oh. So say I know who answer. it is. It's James Franco. It's not. Oh. oh. It's John Mayer. Oh. But James Franco does have a quote about <laughs> masturbating. Somehow. Okay, first of all, the references <laughs> from District 9. Oh, my God. To gold bullion. <laughs> Seriously, what was the first thing he talked about? Here, here it is. Tiger Wait, Woods. He went, oh, from Tiger Woods to District 9. To gold bullion. But is that overshare? Yes. <laughs> I think so. Only because he mentions District 9 when talking about his own <laughs> masturbatory practices. <coughs> if you just talk about masturbating, that's cool. But if you have to, like, bring Tiger Woods into it, no thank you. Unless you're Tiger Woods. Oh, or someone he dates. Or, yeah. no. It's I, okay, actually, to bring in Tiger Woods. I meant to say that. District 9 is never okay. Go. I want to practice, like, ethical judgment. <laughs> I'm going to say yes, mostly because it's John Mayer. I just don't want to know. I don't want to know. Great. Go. Okay. Yes. Next one. I was a late developer. I didn't even get my period until 17 and a half. Oh. Boy, you're going. Jennifer Lawrence. 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 <laughs> okay, it's not. <laughs> Selena Gomez. No. Is she even 17? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sarah Silverman. Oh. oh. I'm going to say it's definitely not an overshare. Yeah. yeah. Um, we have sex like Kenyan marathon runners. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Go not an overshare. It's probably problematic. <laughs> problematic in other ways. Not an overshare. Yes, racist. Uh, um, Angelina Jolie. <laughs> no. Lena Dunham. Olivia Wilde. No, girl, oh, no. Uh, you can tell I'm, you can tell I'm into the bald. You got to keep it clean down there. It's disgusting if you let it go crazy. Vin Diesel's wife. <laughs> <laughs> because he's bald. Telly Savalas's wife, or the Rock's husband, wife, partner. Dwayne the Rock Johnson's wife. <laughs> <laughs> it's Lamar Odom. Oh. Chloe yeah. Kardashian. I don't think that's TMI, but again, it's just problematic. Okay. Yeah. There's a very fine line between saying problematic but, uh, shit and being TMI. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's problematic? Sorry. Maybe it's not. Well, I you would. Should, to each their own. It's like the difference between, like, he maybe has a preference, and I don't. Like, I would say the reverse, right? Would I wouldn't find TMI. If someone was like, I'm all about the bush, I would be like, that's cool. But so, he says you gotta keep it clean down there. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's sorry. I, I missed that right? nuance. Did say that? I missed that nuance. Yeah. 
Yeah, problematic. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I see your point. No, no, no. Yeah, I take it back. He's also very bald. Or at least close shaven on the head. Okay, we'll we'll make this the last one. Uh, This is the longest, most functional relationship I've ever been in. I don't want to screw it up. I use a foolproof foolproof birth control system, the pull-out method. No, no, no. Charlie Sheen. (laughs) No. Oh, man. John Mayer. (laughs) He's too busy touching himself. Adam Levine. Oh. Is it jokes? Does he have jokes? Adam Levine tells Howard Howard Stern about his then relationship with Russian model Anne V. Oh, it's not even Bahati Prinsloo who he got pregnant. So he's it right. Works. <laughs> it works. <laughs> Do you hear that, Meanwhile. kids? It's TBT? time for TBT. Who's ready to go first? I'll pop through mine. Go. Um, I my TBT for this week is the one and only. <laughs> okay, the Olsen twins we have not touched on, but probably should. Mm. Wow, so so important to the millennial generation. Maybe just me. Uh, to true stands of Mary Kate and Ashley, you'll know that they had a show when they were probably around like. Six or seven called Mary Kate and Ashley Mysteries. This was post Full House, but pre Billboard Dad. Billboard Dad. And like our lips are sealed and like all of the good ones, right? Oh. We'll solve the crime by dinner time. They deal with an apiarist who has like a ghost in their beehive. They deal with like a mystery at NASA. I mean, they really travel far and wide to solve all of the world's mysteries. And I just want to throw back to that great series that I would like go to the movie store and re-rent over and over again. Okay. Um, I'm going to insert mine real quick. Mine is LFO. (laughs) LFO, the band, the boy band. Um, their name stands for Light Funky Ones. You might be thinking in your head, oh, you spell that like Light Funky Ones. No, no, no. You spell that like L-Y-T-E. Mm-hmm. Funky is spelled F-U-N-K-I-E. And mm-hmm. then ones is spelled like ones. Um, Naturally. They sang that song. I like the... Wait. I like girls that... that way. Yeah. That's <laughs> Keep it in. I like girls that wear Abercrombie and Fitch. I'll take her if I have one wish. She's been gone last summer. Last summer. I like girls that wear. Okay. Um, But the reason that I wanted to shout them out is because I just really appreciate the people, the people who put themselves out there as part of the boy and girl band phenomenon, but who didn't like quite make, make a sticky impact. Yeah. I will say, LFO, you have my heart. Always wanted to be on a boardwalk with you. And RIP to Rich Cronin, member of LFO, who unfortunately passed away from leukemia, um, which is a bummer. But they've been trying to have a couple. Uh, they've been trying to have a couple comebacks since them. 
since then mm-hmm. I like the highlighted hair mm. and um, the bleach tips. Love a good bleach. Love some good bleach tips. Love a good trio. Love a good uh, yeah. a good brand shout out and mm-hmm. LFO. You have my heart. She's been gone since last <laughs> summer. Last summer. Where'd she go? That song never answered that question for me. Anyway, thanks, LFO. My hashtag TBT. Pew, pew, pew. Bora's first TBT. Oh, I'm a first. Ooh, this is so exciting. It was actually really fun to like dig through the graves of um, the past and think about like everything that I used to, that used to be, you know, my world for a yeah, moment in time. Totally. Um, so I am bringing back Star 69, Star 72, and Star 77. And I actually, I actually had to like relook look up the actual digits. I couldn't remember the combos, but I remember what I was looking for was the one mm-hmm. that would block your number so that you were anonymous. Yes. Yeah. And and I think that's star seventy seven. And you call and you prank call your friends or you prank call anybody and <laughs> hang up and you go, hee hee. Yeah. So I, I, the reason why I bring this up is I have a really good story of me in high school. Um, I I had a phase where I loved playing pranks on people. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to call one of my best friends and, and I don't know, do some... I, I don't even know what, like, joke or prank I wanted to do. So I was trying to dial... I couldn't remember the combo back then either. So I mm-hmm. was like, star 70-something. And I called, hung up. Uh, then the following week, all of a sudden, everybody who would call my cell phone, if I didn't answer, it would go to her voicemail. It would go <laughs> to my best friend's voicemail. And, and we... And when we found this out, we were just like, how is it your, like, how is it that your number is connecting to my number? Mm -hmm. Like, the universe knows that we're best friends. (laughs) (laughs) This is so crazy. And we were so weirded out until finally I looked up all the codes and then that there was some combo. (laughs) Star 72 is when you can have phone calls forwarded to another phone number. Oh, my God. And that's what I did. (laughs) (laughs) But for the longest time, I just thought, like, wow, we're, like, soulmate best friends. Yeah. This is crazy. (laughs) That's amazing. That's amazing. Did you ever use that, Gracie? Absolutely. Oh, Oh my God. One time, uh, I love this word. This is maybe (laughs) my favorite TV, too, all time. Because it just triggers so many memories. But one time I called, prank called my grandparents. <laughs> like, my whole family was like, let's prank call grandma and father. This is going to be hilarious. So I prank call father. And they make me do it because I'm, like, the youngest and the innocent one. And I keep being like, hey, I'd like to order a pizza. <laughs> and, and my grandpa was freaking the geek out. He was so freaked out. And at one point he was finally like, Call again and I'll call the police. <laughs> so I like dialed it back and was like, Hi, Father, this was Grace. We were kidding. <laughs> but he like didn't even answer. Because at that point, I, we had like built up enough ill will. <laughs> back when Bora was like prank calling her friends, I was like, This will get Grandpa. <laughs> that is so awesome. Did you ever do that? that? 
I didn't really do prank calls or any of that stuff. Mm. I think I was afraid of what was ha- what would happen. I was really afraid oh, of the phone yeah. for a really long time. I hated calling people. I was always afraid their dad was going to pick up or if they oh. had a sibling, particularly older brothers. I was petrified of older brothers. Yeah. So I hated the phone. Yeah. Really did not like it. So I really didn't get into the pranks and all of that. It was scary mm. as fuck for me. <laughs> so, no. But... No. I can appreciate it. I knew, <laughs> I knew it was a thing. Definitely part of the, part of the culture. Yeah. Now it doesn't work anymore because nobody answers phone calls <laughs> from numbers they don't recognize. <laughs> we all have caller ID now. Yeah. Hey. Oh man. Bora. Bora. This is the best. Thank you so much Thank for being on the Thank you so much show. for letting me be here. It has been such a delight. Truly. Yeah. Yeah, so nice. I'm so glad that we can edit. Leave <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it in. Uh, yeah. Just for that, we're not editing a single. Oh my god! <laughs> the pod is two hours long. Wait, you sure you want to leave in that whole segment where you were going off about? <laughs> <laughs> no. 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 Shh. 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 Cut that out. <laughs> Oh, well, so glad we got a guest on the pod. We're excited to have Bora be the inaugural mm-hmm. guest. We're so proud of her for bringing a game. Yes. For bringing gifts. Oh, my gosh. literary themed condoms. My God. The, the future guests. Yeah. The bar is pretty high. And um, we're so excited. Thank you all so much for listening. And, and Bora, we'll, come back anytime. Yeah. Oh. I would love to. Open invite. The suit is yours. And uh, we'll see you in a fortnight. See you in a fortnight. See you in a fortnight. Yeah. That's fun to say. <laughs>